You can have a seat. And if you would, please take out your Bible and make your way over to the book of Galatians, Galatians and chapter 5. Uh, this morning, we are going to start our preaching series uh, that we'll be in for the next 10 weeks or so, and uh, we're going to work our way through the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, today, we'll kind of do an overview, and then over the next nine weeks, we'll take a look at each one of the fruit of the Spirit given to us in Galatians chapter 5, and we are going to approach these in reverse order. Uh, so, next week, we're going to start with self-control, and then we'll end uh, later on in August, we'll end with love, because I thought it might be appropriate for us to end with love, and that way, if you are in and out through the summer because you're away traveling or whatever, by the time we get to halfway through August, most people will be back again and uh, that will be a great way for us to wrap up this preaching series through the fruit of the Spirit. By way of introducing this series, think about this with me. Jesus always thinks, responds, talks, and acts in ways that perfectly please the Father. You and I do not always think and respond and talk and act in ways that please the Father. It was nearly soul-crushing to me this week as I'm thinking about the fruit of the Spirit and reflecting on the fruits of the Spirit and thinking about the next 10 weeks that we'll do together to be reminded of how I am not gentle and impatient and how I lack self-control, which is the other reason why we need to do self-control first, because I need that. So I need to spend some time there. But the same power that enables Jesus to live joyfully, fruitfully, and faithfully is available to you if you are in Christ. Did you know that? That power comes to us through the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, then the Holy Spirit is making you more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we offer compelling evidence. Maybe even better than that, we ourselves are the compelling evidence to our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers and our family. They may say things to us like this, how is it that you are able to parent your kids without losing your temper? How is it that you are able to remain so humbly hopeful in a world that seems so horribly gone wrong? How is it that you are able to be patient and not get angry when your manager is so unreasonable at work? And then we have the opportunity to respond by proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus, not just a gospel that saves us for eternity, but a gospel that is transforming us right now. That's what we want to think about over these next 10 weeks together. Our sister Anna is going to come right now, and she is going to read Galatians chapter 5, 
And we're going to start in verse number 16, and we're going to work down through verse 26. Galatians 5, 16 down through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Thank you, Anna. When we think about how to deal with our sin, there are at least two ditches that we need to avoid. On the one hand, there is the ditch that says there is nothing that you can do about your sin. You just need to let go and let God. And becoming like Jesus is inevitable and automatic and it requires no effort on your part. That is one ditch that we must avoid. On the other hand, there is a ditch that says, you better do something about your sin. Get sober. Give up your addictions. Get out of all of those toxic relationships. You better stop swearing. And if you fall into this ditch, then becoming like Jesus means doing more, trying harder, and being better with minimal need for God's power at all. Now, each of these ditches emphasizes an important truth. Did you catch that? It is true. It is impossible to be like Jesus without God's power. And it is true, you will not become like Jesus without diligent effort. But neither ditch provides the biblical strategy for dealing with your sin. When we examine what the Bible teaches, we learn this. Becoming like Jesus is a supernatural work of God's grace in cooperation with a heart reborn by the Holy Spirit. This is my working definition for the doctrine of sanctification. Even though your progress may seem frustratingly slow, 
and my progress often seems frustratingly slow. The Holy Spirit is making you more like Jesus if you are truly a Christian. And that means you may crucify your strongest temptations in the sin-crushing power of Jesus. If we go back all the way to the Garden of Eden, we find there that God graciously commanded the first man and the first woman to eat of every tree in the garden. What a kind and gracious command. Go eat of every tree that I have provided for you. Except for one tree. One tree was forbidden them. But rather than believing and obeying God, Adam and Eve believed the serpent, which led to doubting and disobeying God. They took what was not theirs They ate what God had not given them. And because of Adam's sin in the garden, the Bible teaches that each of us are born under the power of the flesh. Now, if you're familiar with the New Testament, you will see this phrase all the time, the flesh. You may think that the flesh refers to your body, and on occasion, that, that phrase is used that way in the New Testament, to refer to your body or perhaps to your muscle, your muscular system. Occasionally, it does refer to that. But more often, the flesh refers to your heart, the real you, your personality, your desires, your motives, your dreams, who you are on the inside, your character, your attitude. Your flesh loves sin. And as a result, your flesh hates God. Your flesh is self-centered. It is self-serving. It is self-gratifying. You can't count on your flesh to help you fix your broken relationship with God. Do you know why? Because we read in Romans chapter 8, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You cannot make God happy. You cannot convince God to love you or compel Him to show you His grace by cleaning up your act. Your flesh wants what God forbids, and it rebels constantly against what God commands. And that's why Paul describes the works of the flesh that Anna read to us as evident, because we are all dealing with this same monster, and we're all very familiar with the ways that the flesh works. Look again at verse number 19. The works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In other words, this is not a all-encompassing list. This is not an exhaustive list. It's things like these. I warn you, Paul says, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Think about your heart. The real you on the inside Think about it with this illustration as, as a home or an apartment. Your flesh is the strongest personality in your house. And it's been this way from your moment, the moment you were born. Those of you who have little ones, you know this. Nobody has to teach the little baby how to throw a fit when it's supposed to go into the car seat, and then it arches its back. Why does it do that? That's the flesh coming out. No one had to teach the baby to wake up at 3 a.m. and demand to be fed, or else the whole house is going to come crashing down around it. Why? Because from birth, your flesh is the strongest personality, the strongest dominant force inside of your heart. Your flesh makes every decision about temptation. In fact, temptation doesn't even have to knock on the door. You know, I think we think about temptation that way sometimes, that temptation just kind of stands there and knocks on the door. I'm not sure that that's helpful. Do you know why? Because your flesh swings wide open the door long before temptation gets there and welcomes temptation into your heart. Temptation walks right in to your heart, and temptation makes itself at home in every part of your heart because your flesh wants the pleasure that temptation promises. And sin feels good. Your flesh is all about losing your temper in traffic. All about it. Your flesh is all about one-night stands. Your flesh is all about choosing to chase your dreams even though it means white lies and stepping on others along the way. Your flesh is all about one-upping your coworkers and your spouse your flesh is all about winning every single argument that comes up on social media or in your household, always having to have the last word. Your flesh is all about getting drunk in order to relax. It's all about lustful looking. It's all about coveting. 
the relationships or the car or the exciting vacations that you are realizing you are not taking this summer. These types of behaviors, as you might expect, make your flesh the worst roommate in your heart. Your flesh is loud and obnoxious. It makes messes and it does not clean up after itself. It touches the remote with sticky fingers. It leaves the dishwasher without the little magnet on it so you can't tell whether the dishes are clean or not. Your flesh is always talking over everybody else. It refuses to listen during meals. It doesn't offer to help pay for groceries, and it certainly doesn't take its turn mowing the lawn. Your flesh is the worst roommate. But here's the good news. Your heart does not need to be ruled by your flesh. Every person who is born again, saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, gets a new roommate. And that roommate is the Holy Spirit. And hear this, the Holy Spirit is infinitely stronger than your flesh infinitely stronger. Where your flesh is self-centered, the Holy Spirit is God-centered. Where your flesh is self-serving, the Holy Spirit is others-serving. Where your flesh is self-gratifying, The Holy Spirit is Jesus glorifying. As you might expect, these two roommates do not get along. They don't get along. There is regular, intense conflict between your flesh and the Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants you to become more and more and more like Jesus, little by little, every day, His fruit being produced in your life, and your filthy flesh just wants its own way all the time. Verse 17 For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But look at verse 18. But if... You are led by the Spirit. You're not under the law. When you are born again, the Holy Spirit shuts that front door of your heart. Temptation can't just waltz on into your house anymore and make itself at home. That door has been closed. 
well, then how come I'm still sinning? If the Holy Spirit is infinitely power, more powerful than the flesh, why is it that I am still sinning? Because you tell the Spirit to step aside and give your flesh access to the door again. And the flesh doesn't even think about it. Opens that door right back up to temptation. Please be warned. If you regularly and intentionally indulge your flesh by doing what your flesh wants, this is evidence that the Holy Spirit is not at home in your heart. And you are not an heir of the kingdom of God. But if there is conflict when temptation comes to the door, if you feel that wrestle inside your heart, if there's some pushing and shoving that's happening between the spirit and the flesh, then be encouraged. This is evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence inside of you. This is evidence of the Holy Spirit's power shutting that door to your heart. But there's conflict. It's a wrestle. It seems like a war is taking place in your heart. Because that temptation comes and sin feels good. And the flesh wants the pleasure that the temptation promises. The Holy Spirit cannot tolerate sin. And followers of Jesus are learning to cooperate with the Holy Spirit by asking the Holy Spirit to drag temptation to the door, give it the boot out the door, slam the door, put the sign on the outside and stay out, right? Slam the door and lock that thing. We are learning to cooperate with the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But we're learners. We're not there yet. We still feel that wrestle. A day is coming when we will be with Jesus and the wrestle will be gone. The conflict will be over. The fight inside of our hearts between the flesh and the spirit will be no more. We will be changed. We will be like Jesus. We will enjoy his presence perfectly without this constant conflict over temptation. What a day that is going to be. The Holy Spirit is not tolerant of sin, and He is going to put your flesh in its place. Even though your flesh may be making messes right now in every single corner of your heart, the Holy Spirit is working on shrinking 
your flesh's power and influence. How does that happen? Well, uh, when I was married to Lois, I had lots of stuff. I had a rock collection. Uh, I had a leaf collection. I had the Wheaties box from when the Twins won the World Series in 1991. Uh, I also had the Star Tribune from that day when the Twins won the World Series. Uh, I have a CD collection that has been drastically shrunk down now since being married. And here is what I'm finding, where, where these things used to sort of be spread out around the house, little by little, they are being shrunk down. Maybe at one point it was everywhere, and then it was, you know, the living room, and then, and then maybe you've got a little place in the bedroom, and then maybe it was, well, there's a place down here in the storage room, and now there's a, a shelf, a single shelf, and there's a couple of bins where I have some of my stuff, and it just continues to shrink down, and that's A-okay. That's the kind of work that the Holy Spirit wants to do to the flesh inside of you, to subdue and silence and suppress the flesh, little by little, shrinking it down, and more and more, the Holy Spirit is invading and taking over every part of your heart. And as He does, the Holy Spirit produces fruit, and that's in verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, we shouldn't think about the fruit of the Spirit as a checklist as though we might say, I have completed all of the patience that I intend to produce. The fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist, okay? The fruit of the Spirit is also not a growth chart. It's not, maybe some of us have those in our homes where you're kind of, maybe it's behind the door of one of the kids' bedrooms or something, or on the door, and you're, you're making marks on there for each year, or each month, or whatever, and tracking how, how tall the kids are getting. That's not what the fruit of the Spirit, it's not a growth chart. If it was, we would just compare ourselves to one another, and we would be envious of one another, and Paul warns us against that at the end of this paragraph. The Holy Spirit is also not a basket of fruits. Note that. It is the fruit of the Spirit. What is that fruit? It is godliness. It is Christ-likeness. As the Holy Spirit produces His fruit in your heart, you will more regularly and consistently act like Jesus. How is this happening? Becoming like Jesus is a supernatural work of God's grace in cooperation with a heart that has been reborn by the Holy Spirit. 
So don't believe the lie, let go and let God. That's a lie that will lead you down into a ditch. Don't believe the lie that says you better clean up your act and do more and try harder and be better. That is also a lie that will lead you down into a ditch. Don't presume that you are strong enough to restrain your flesh. But hear this, you may crucify your strongest temptations in the soul-crushing power Sorry, the sin-crushing power of Jesus. Look at verse 24. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong to Jesus Christ. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Children, do you belong to Jesus Christ? Is Jesus your Savior? Are you trusting in Jesus as your only hope for salvation? Have you been born again? Or are you still committed to doing more and trying harder and being better? We sang it together earlier. Jesus is waiting with open arms. So come. Come and believe in Jesus. Why? Because God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to the cross to save rotten sinners like you and me. Come, believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved. You cannot impress God or earn your way into his favor. Do you know why that's true? Because God is already completely impressed with Jesus. And that same power that enables Jesus to live joyfully, fruitfully, and faithfully is available to you. If you belong to Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is ready and powerfully able to help you crucify your strongest temptations. Why why does Paul say crucify? Such an ugly word. Crucifixion is reserved for the worst criminals. And your flesh and my flesh is evil. Your flesh deserves nothing more than to be crucified without mercy. Why crucifixion? Well, crucifixion is is painful. 
And we should expect that as we are giving up our bad habits and learning to cooperate with the Spirit, as we are learning to turn over our lustful ways to the Holy Spirit, as we are learning to get ourselves out of toxic relationships by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is going to hurt. That flesh is not going away easily. He wants the pleasure that temptation offers. Crucifixion is painful, and it may hurt, but your flesh must be crucified. Crucifixion is decisive. That means we must regularly see our flesh writhing on the cross, dying there, And not turn around and reconsider hanging the flesh there to die. We don't feel sorry for the the flesh. We don't show the flesh pity. Galatians 5 and verse 16, it says this, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Notice that in your Bible. This is not a command. Do you see that? Paul's not making a command here. He is making an assertion of what is true. He is declaring truth. What is true? Those who walk in the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What a beautiful promise. What strong affirmation. What good comfort for our hearts as we learn to resist the flesh and we learn to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. That same power that enables Jesus to live joyfully, fruitfully, and faithfully is available to you. And so, you may crucify your strongest temptations in the sin-crushing power of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, you know our hearts You know my heart, and you know where the flesh is prevailing and having its way. Would you please give me courage to learn to resist his filthy ways? Would you please give me and my brothers and sisters strength? and resolve to crucify our temptations. You know that we are weak. You know that we are inclined to sin. And you are so patient and good and gentle, full of mercy and love for us. Would you please continue to work with us 
Help us to learn day by day and hour by hour. And for, for some of us, for me, this is a moment by moment thing of, of learning to resist the flesh in the power of your Holy Spirit. Blessed Holy Spirit, you know our hearts and you know our desire to be like Jesus. And yet, you also know that we are so inclined to the pleasures that temptation promises. Please work deeply in our hearts and change us for the glory of God. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking away our sin. Thank you for giving up your blood on the cross, laying down your life so that straying sheep like us could find rest and peace and comfort and hope under the shelter of your wings. Lord Jesus, we are humbled as we consider the great price that you paid for us. Please continue to stir up worship in our hearts as we continue through this worship gathering. We pray all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Amen.